There's a chance for Mule and Burroughs. They score! And the Mules score! Scores! Three in a row for the Mules! Duke has to put it up at the buzzer! It's good! And the Mules win it! Coming to you from Allentown, Pennsylvania, welcome to the Mule and Mules podcast. Each episode, we'll talk to the coaches, staff, athletes, and alumni who make up the Muhlenberg Athletics family and are proud to call themselves Mules. And our guest this episode is A.J. Barnold, a 2009 graduate of Muhlenberg College, a member of the Mules' 2005 Centennial Conference champion men's soccer team, and a first-team all-Centennial Conference back. A.J. has served as performance analyst for the U.S. Women's National Team, the number one team in the world since 2018. He just got back from Tokyo, where he was with the USWNT for the 2020 Olympics. All right, AJ Barnold, welcome back from Tokyo and welcome to the Muhlenberg Mules podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's been a, uh, was a hectic few weeks for you there in Tokyo and, and just got back uh, about a week ago. Still, still a little bit uh, adjusting to the hours. Yeah, still, uh, it's a 13 hour difference to the East Coast, so it's, it's, our night was your day and vice versa. So, um, made, made communicating with family a little bit easier, but, um, it's, yeah, jet lag is real. <laughs> uh, and then of course the, U uh, S women's national team winning, winning the bronze medal in Tokyo, and you're working as a performance analyst for them. And for people who aren't aware, um, just tell us a little bit about, um, your background and how you got from a soccer player at Muhlenberg to being, uh, performance analyst for, for the top team in the world. Yeah. Um, so obviously played at Muhlenberg. Uh, I was a psychology major as well, um, which sort of started me towards uh, investigating data analysis, things like that. Um, after Muhlenberg, I went to do a master's in sports psychology at Temple University, which uh, at the same time I, I started into the coaching realm um, with, uh, Arcadia university, uh, just outside of Philly after, after grad school finished, uh, coach chopping asked me if I wanted to come back and, and be an assistant for him, uh, back at Muhlenberg, uh, which was great. Um, it was, uh, I really enjoyed coming back and, and he really helped sort of continue to launch my coaching career. And in, in that standpoint, um, after a couple of years there, uh, moved over to Lafayette, uh, where it was, it was good to be able to go, um, full-time into coaching and, and division one without even, uh, physically moving. And then, uh, after being at Lafayette for a couple of years came to a, a point where I, I wanted to, at that point, video analysis and, and data analysis and soccer was kind of starting to take off, uh, here in the States and, and, teams in major league soccer were starting to to kind of uh create positions for it and it it found its way into college soccer a little bit as well and and it, it was something that piqued my interest and uh, luckily enough uh, university of virginia and coach galnovach there um had bought into performance analysis and, and had a position that opened up and i was lucky enough to to get on there with one of the best men's college programs in the country learned a ton about, uh, uh, continued to develop video analysis that I had started to work on at, at Lafayette, uh, added some data analysis to it uh, in terms of scouting opponents, evaluating our own uh, team's performance, things like that. Um, 
And then after a couple of years at Virginia, uh, U.S. Soccer put out a, an advertisement to, to start to build out an analysis department. Um, previously, most of that was not full time. Um, and, and at that point, being about a little more than a year out from the World Cup, the, the WNT had a specific need for uh, somebody to, to come in and offer that full-time support. And um, luckily enough, they chose me. Um, and, and I moved to Chicago in, in early 2018, and, and that's been there ever since. Yeah, and of course, uh, being assigned to the, uh, you know, to the U.S. women's national team, that was, that was pretty cool, right? The, uh, a good team to work with, certainly, from right from the start. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, it was it was a little intimidating to be honest. Uh, one in terms of, of joining uh, such a, an important program and and uh, being entrusted to work with those coaches and those players, and um, two just because I, I hadn't worked at all on the women's side previously, um, and so uh, luckily the the game translates across. Uh, there's not many differences. It's, it's, it's not like some sports where it's different rules or, or things like that. And, and obviously the, the objective side, the analysis really translates across both sides. And, and so it, it took me some time definitely to, I was a fan of the team before I had followed along. I, I knew all the players, and, but in terms of adjusting and, and starting to learn the opponents and, and, the, the domestic leagues and, and things like that. Um, that took me a little bit of time, but, but yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it's been, it's been nothing but a privilege to, to work with this group. So. Yeah. And that was in, in, in 2018, 2019, uh, the very next year, you got to accompany the team to France for the women's world cup, you know, and it's a little hard to compare, uh, I guess, anything pre pandemic with, with things that are going on now. Um, so maybe it's not fair to compare the the Women's World Cup in 2019 with the Olympics, the 2020 Olympics in 2021. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, obviously great uh, international travel experiences, you know, to compete at the highest level of, of, of soccer. How, how did those two trips compare to you? The one the one to France for the Women's World Cup and the one to Tokyo that you just got back from from the Olympics? Uh, I think the biggest the biggest difference is. Uh, the fact that the Olympics are not just soccer. Um, it, the World Cup, FIFA runs everything. They have control over everything. They, they provide all the, the various things that teams need, et cetera. Um, and, and even prior to the Olympics, kind of coming to understand that the IOC and the, the local organizing committee for the Olympics are putting on a world championship event, not just for your sport, but for uh, however many hundreds of sports <laughs> hundreds of events um and, and so there uh i do not envy the logistics people that that uh put that together in a regular world let alone in a pandemic world so um the fact that the the olympics went off without a hitch across so many sports is just is amazing but in terms of the 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 Olympic soccer tournament is uh, in some ways, I think a harder tournament than the world cup. It's a, it's a quicker turnaround between games. It's a smaller roster and it's only 12 teams as opposed to the 24. So it's, it's really down to the top teams in the world. And, and um, it, it has different challenges for sure. But then, I mean, in terms of actually being there and, and being at the event, uh, uh, it was definitely different in, in terms of pre and post pandemic. 
um, or pre and during pandemic. <laughs> um, but, but both just unreal experiences to be part of. Yeah. And, you know, part of the, the pandemic rules or the world that we live in was no fans at the games. Um, and, you know, for, for the top team in the world, playing the most popular sport in the world at the top competition in the world in, in empty stadiums, you know, I, I, I know you can say it is what it is and, and that's just the way it was, but, uh, I, I, I'm sure there was a little, um, not regret, but, uh, maybe just a little disappointment that you d- didn't get the full Olympic experience as it could have been. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even just, just thinking about how, like even beforehand, uh, when we were unsure what the Olympics were going to look like, it was, it was like a, a mixed bag of kind of feeling like this, this excitement and, and obviously like, wow, I'm taking part in an Olympics, but, but a little bittersweet in the sense that it, it's not the full Olympic experience that uh, you would have had pre-pandemic. And you could feel that too, like being on the ground in Tokyo, you could feel that too with the people, the, the host country and, and all the volunteers and everyone working to, to pull off the Olympics were just so happy to have us there and, and provide a great event and, and show off their country and their city. And, and the, you could tell it was just missing something from that standpoint without the fans there. Uh, it, it almost feel bad for the the people of Tokyo and Japan in, in the sense that they didn't get the full ability to to welcome the world in that sense. Yeah, and it has to be tough for the teams too to uh, you know again uh, you know the most uh, the number one team in the world used to playing before sold out stadiums. Um, you know, it, it it had to have been tough. I you know it. It was a business trip. It was a, you know, it was a tournament to go play in and to try to win. But yeah, there, there had to have been, you know, something that, that was just a little bit missing. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it was tough. You, you have to kind of create your own energy and as a team and, and as a staff. And some of the teams went about that differently. Like some of the, uh, I forget who, a couple teams had uh, like drums in the stands with their, their extra staff and their players who weren't dressed for that game would, would create a little bit of atmosphere that way. And, and it's definitely a different, different world in the sense of you're able to hear the chatter on the field and the coach's instructions from the touchline and, and things like that. So that's, that's a little bit different than comparing back to France where we're playing in front of 60, 70,000 people and you can't hear your, you can't hear your teammate who's five yards from you. So in, in that sense, it was, it was definitely different. And, and it def, I mean, thinking back to like the, the support we had in France uh, was unbelievable. And, and to have that many American fans in, in all those venues was, was fantastic and definitely drove us on through some of the games. Um, and I think people have pointed that out, uh, but also maybe a little bit forget that we played the hosts France in Paris in a quarterfinal and, and, Obviously, we had a lot of American fans there, but but that that atmosphere and that that sort of uh, everyone cheering against you um, <laughs> drove us on as well. Uh, it's the coolest atmosphere that I've been a part of at a, a sporting event in that game in France. But um, but yeah, definitely just a very a very different type of tournament in terms of of the atmosphere and 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 having to having to create energy for ourselves. Right. And uh, you mentioned before the, the tight turnaround. You had a game every third day uh, while you were over there. 
Um, did you get some, uh, you know, obviously a new team to prepare for and, and all the stuff that you need to do to help the team uh, prepare for the next opponent? Um, did you get some downtime? Were, were you able to explore the, you know, the city and the countries and, and maybe uh, enjoy yourself a little bit and relax? Not, not as much downtime as I would like. Um, <laughs> the, it was just such a tight turnaround where, where we as a staff were going. Uh, so we finished a game and then the next day, that night and the next day, we, we put together a game review uh, for the players. And then the next evening, you're already on to the next opponent and, and uh, doing a scouting report and, and a game plan for the next opponent. And then the next day is already match day minus one, which is, is um, you almost don't really get a chance to train uh, or, or really change a lot about your tactics necessarily because uh, it's game recovery day, prep day on match day minus one, and you're playing again. Um, and so it's a little bit of a war of attrition in some sense. In terms of, of getting, being able to get out and explore and things like that, that was really something that, that I definitely missed from our, our previous international trips in the sense that, that with all of the measures they took for COVID in Japan, um, we weren't really allowed to go out or, or leave our hotel or, or go exploring. It was uh, most of what we saw uh, was traveling to and from facilities on, on the bus, unfortunately, um, which it, it definitely has sort of marked in my, my book of future plans to, to go back to Tokyo at some point and really be able to, to take it in as it, as it fully deserves. Did you experience the cardboard beds? We did not. Um, so we, we actually did not stay in the village. We were, we were in a hotel uh, a little bit outside of downtown for a good chunk of the tournament. And then for soccer is a little different than a lot of the events in the sense that they spread our games out to, to different venues. Um, I mean, there were, there were games as far away, not for us, but there were games as far away as Sapporo, which is uh, several hours north of Tokyo um, on a different island, I think. Um, and so in that sense, you often get, um, the, the soccer teams either stay further out for, for good chunks of the tournament or, uh, aren't necessarily in the village. Uh, and that was the case here. I mean, thinking back to 2016, it was before my time, obviously, but the, the team, the tournament was in Rio, but, or the, the Olympics were in Rio, but the team, I don't think ever made it to Rio. I don't think they stayed in Rio at all. They, they, uh, cause all of their games were spread out across the country. So we did not experience the cardboard beds in the village. Um, we, we did have a little bit of a village feeling in the sense that one of the, um, one of the venues that, that we played a couple games in, in Kashima, there was a, a hotel that was kind of considered an extension of the village. And so we stayed there, uh, with actually in the same hotel as at one point we were with Australia, Great Britain, Canada, um, and several of the men's teams who were also playing at that venue. Um, and so that was, it was a little different being in the same facility as your opponents, but, but it, it was a little bit of that village feel maybe, um, being around the, the athletes from other countries, but but no, we did not spend much time in the actual village proper. Uh, and you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, it was you're representing your country, not just in your sport, but in other sports. Did you um, 
get to interact or have any um, kind of um, interaction with uh, athletes or from other sports. I imagine from what you just said, you guys may have been moving around more than the, the athletes from other sports who might have kind of all stayed in the same place. Yeah. Um, so there was, like I said, the athletes and the, the coaches and staff from some of the other soccer teams, um, which was was interesting, too, because a, a couple of those teams have uh, staff members that used to work with us and that I was part of winning a World Cup with um, between Tony, the, the Australian coach, and, and Don Scott, who's the performance coach for Great Britain. Um, both of them were with us in 2019. So we so got to catch up with them a little bit. Um, we did, we shared our, the one hotel we stayed in for a good chunk in Shinjuku was, um, we shared for, for a time with USA Basketball um, and USA Tennis. So uh, one, of the, one of the cool moments, I think, was when the, the women's three-on-three basketball uh, won the gold medal. They had, in, in one of the meeting areas, the kind of common areas, they had um, taped off a, a little mini uh, three-point arc. Um, in order to just kind of walk through some plays and, and things like that. Um, and, and when they won, before they got back, uh, some, of the, some of the members of our group borrowed some tape from the athletic trainers and, and taped on the floor, uh, congrats, 3v3 basketball, love, USWNT. Um, so like that kind of cool interaction and, and um, pulling for each other. Um, that was, that was all pretty cool. Our, our, uh, another kind of side effect of not, uh, of the soccer tournament itself. First off, the, the tournament starts prior to the actual Olympics opening. Um, so we played on the 21st was our first game and, and the, the opening ceremony wasn't until a couple of days later. Um, and we actually had our second game the day after the opening ceremony. And so it, it, it wasn't advisable for our, our players to be on their feet and, and out in the heat for that long for the opening ceremony. So, so they were unfortunately unable to attend that, but, um, but it was pretty cool when we got back from training and they, uh, they all ran upstairs threw on their opening ceremony outfits uh, before they came down to dinner and we had the opening ceremony up on, up on the screen uh, and our players went nuts when the, the U S delegation came in. Um, so it, it they weren't a part of it, but they were a part of it. Uh, well, I is, guess I, I guess that's appropriate uh, for the virtual world we live in, right? We're we're doing so many things virtually. We, we we did the your team attended the opening ceremonies virtually. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I saw during the Olympics that you had tweeted out uh, graphics that showed, um, you know, sw- the swimming team doing well, the U.S. swimmers, uh, you know, some other sports, the U.S. volleyball team uh that one one gold uh i i imagine there was um quite a lot of patriotism and and kind of camaraderie even if you didn't interact with them the three-on-three basketball team you did but just watching other fellow americans competing uh i i imagine that had to be uh pretty cool because they were you know you were a part of your team but you were really a part of a big extended team that was competing in a variety of sports yeah yeah, definitely. Um, you, you definitely get a feeling. I mean, it started, uh, you think about it early on and, and how like, 
as you're growing up as a kid and an athlete watching the Olympics and like, that's the pinnacle of, of world sport. And, and so once that starts to kind of set in that you're part of a, a group within that, you definitely get the feeling of, of being part of something bigger than yourself and, and even bigger than your original team. Um, and, and even something as, as small as the fact that when you get to the Olympics and, and the tournament starts, you're, you're not, you're no longer wearing, the U S soccer crest, you're wearing the, the team USA, uh, gear and, and the team USA Olympic badge on, on, uh, on your uniforms. And like that sort of dials it in even more like this is, this really is something bigger than, than, uh, than what we're used to. And then things like, uh, we, we got to check out the facilities that team USA and the, the U S OPC, um, put together a, a unbelievable like home base um, where the full, like a track for the, the track and field athletes to train at uh, Olympic size pool, uh, weight room, recovery, sports medicine, uh, all sorts of those things just as like a, a home base. And when you set foot in there, it, it's again, like everyone is there just trying to, to, push everybody else in the, from the country to be the best they can and, and to, to perform as well as possible and, and ultimately win as many medals as possible for the country. So yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like cliche to say, but it's just, it's really cool to be part of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, um, you know, Olympics are people are, is something that, uh, you know, everybody's grown up having heard of. The World Cup, I think, has uh, increased in popularity in the United States um, only kind of recently. Uh, maybe it was among soccer aficionados, but it's it's definitely achieved a, a wider audience, uh, you know, in the last decade or so. But the Olympics is something that ev- everybody knows of from the time they're a little kid. Yeah, for sure. And, and like I said, it it want like for. For some period of time leading up to it, it was like business as usual. And then I think it was like once we once we landed in Tokyo and and started to see all of the the Olympic rings around and the the Tokyo 2020 uh, branding and the Team USA facilities and things like that, like it kind of hits you all of a sudden. Like we're at the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if there was. Uh you know, kind of one signature moment for the, uh, the U S women's national team uh, or one signature game. It was the, uh, quarterfinal game against the Netherlands, uh, two, two at the end of regulation and, and the extra time and, and then went into a, a penalty kick shootout. Uh, and one of the interesting things about that game, you talked about the time difference earlier that started at seven o'clock AM here on the East coast. Um, you know, which on a weekday is a time when perhaps some people waking up, getting ready for work, aren't really thinking about watching a soccer game. But as the game kind of progressed and it was turning into one of those games, as people got settled in, um, you know, it got past nine o'clock and it went into overtime and things like that. It really kind of took on kind of like a, uh, you know, like a classic uh, that was that was happening live. And talk about uh, what that was like. Um you know, the experience of, of playing a game like that, uh, a, a knockout game. So the, you, you know, the, the, the team that, that, that lost would be done in the tournament. And then 
uh, having it go to, to penalty kicks like that. Yeah. I mean, that there was so much around that game in terms of, of, there's something about us in quarterfinals, I guess, that make them huge occasions. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, that one in particular being a, a rematch of the 2019 World Cup final, both teams have continued to, to be top in the world. And, and um, <laughs> on top of that with the, on top of that with the quarterfinal, um, if you lose that game, like you said, you're going home. And if you win that game, you're in the final four. You've guaranteed yourself the chance to play for an Olympic medal, whether you win the semifinal or not. And so I think that that puts another level of pressure on top of it as well. And then it was it was an, an interesting game. We came out pretty well. Like we started the game pretty well. We were we were on top for the first 10, 15 minutes. And then kind of out of nowhere, they score a goal and it's like, wow, now we're trailing in, in the knockout round. Um, and so, but our, our group showed, uh, showed kind of their, their characteristic fight and came back and, and got two goals quickly uh, to go back ahead and, and had chances towards the end of regulation and, and in the extra time periods to, to go ahead and win it. But um, we've, both in the world cup and, and in this tournament, we we've prepared as though like uh, most teams that go deep in tournaments have at some point had to face a, a penalty shootout and say what you will about whether it's an ideal way to decide a winner <laughs> in in important soccer matches. But, um, but that, that preparation paid off, I think. Yeah. It must've been crazy. You know, I, I'm just trying to picture what that would be like in a stadium full of people. Um, but but even in a, in a stadium without people, um, maybe the fact that you can hear everything that's being said or it's it's so much more quiet around you. I don't know if that makes it more stressful or less stressful, but it's certainly a quite an environment. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's tough. I mean, the hardest part is the walk from the center circle to the to the penalty spot when you're when it's your turn. Um and I mean, thinking back to, to my experience at Muhlenberg, I did that once at, at Gettysburg and that was, uh, I mean, there were, there was a good amount of fans there, but actually maybe more than we're in the stadium in Tokyo. <laughs> um, but, but um, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know which would be harder, the, the full stadium or, or not, but um, uh, just a different experience from that standpoint. And, and made even a bit crazier, too, by the fact that, that the Dutch had had a chance to go ahead in the 80, 80th, around the 80th minute, I think. They had a penalty that, that again, much like in 2019, Alyssa, uh, Alyssa Nair stepped up and, and made a huge stop for us um, that, that even got us onto the extra time at that point. So put a, even another layer onto the, the shootout that followed. Yeah. One thing about uh, watching the shootout here on uh, television, um, as uh, the kickers came up, the TV announcers had at their fingers their tendencies for shooting PKs. Uh, I remember one shooter, I, I don't recall which one, came up and they were like, well, she shot 10 PKs uh, in competition this year, five to the left and five to the right. Uh, so I, obviously that information is, is widely available. 
during a shootout, is there any kind of system? It, are, are the goalies aware of that? Or is there any kind of system where you can relay information to the goalies? Or do you just basically kind of leave it up to them to, to go with their own, uh, their own wits? Without giving too much away or without, without delving too far into it, they, uh, our staff and, and the goalkeepers definitely do a, a fair share of research um, into similarly, like you said, to the commentators into, into a, a player's tendencies and, and history from the penalty spot. And, but ultimately it's, it's still, it's, I mean, just like any, any other part of the game, it still has to be played and, and players still have to, uh, execute, whether it's the, the shooter executing their shot or the goalkeeper uh, combining previous knowledge with, with what they're able to read from the shooter in the moment. Um, and so, uh, again, Alyssa did a, a phenomenal job with that. Um, all of our goalkeepers do, really. They, they didn't necessarily get the chance to show it like Alyssa did in that moment. But, um, but it's... Uh, definitely an opportunity for the goalkeepers to, to change the game. Um, and, and she did so in, in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. She certainly did. We're talking with uh, AJ Barnold performance analyst for the U S women's national soccer team, just back from Tokyo and the 2020 Olympics played in 2021. So what's, what's next for the U S women's national team? Um, what's the next major tournament that's coming up? Um, so we'll have, We'll have obviously some of our normal friendlies and, and things like that. Um, the next real major event will be World Cup qualifying, uh, which I believe is next July. Um, CONCACAF has, has tweaked that a little bit in terms of how that is run and, and how that'll set us up for, for both the next World Cup and the next Olympics. Um, uh, prior to that, we'll, uh, I, would, I would assume we'll have our, our standard March-April uh, She Believes Cup which is a, a friendly tournament um, that always features some of the top teams in the world. So that uh, those two are probably the big ones with, with World Cup qualifying being obviously the, the most important thing coming up on the horizon. Um, and then uh, the World Cup in 2023 is in Australia and New Zealand. Um, nice. And then the 2024 Olympics way out in the future. That's, that's, not quite yet on our radar, but um, that'll be a trip back to Paris, actually. So, I'll be here before you know it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we let you go, AJ, um, you know, we had uh, talked with you a few years ago when you got the job with U.S. Soccer, um, just kind of about how your Muhlenberg education prepared you uh, for this job. Uh, maybe not in tangible ways, maybe, you know, uh, things that you learned in your classroom is not directly applicable to what you're doing now, but as it definitely uh, plays a role, maybe you could uh, just touch on that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the, one of the biggest things that, that my time at Muhlenberg as a student taught me or, or instilled in me was the always asking questions and, and always trying to delve deeper into the information that you see or that, that is provided for you and um, the amount of, of research that I did between uh, the psychology major, um, some, some extra research that I did with some of the professors and, and that they really mentored me on um, 
being part of the Dana Scholars Program as well that that encouraged that kind of again always asking questions and 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 doing research and and that all made me very comfortable with trying to pull out the most important thing from a, a huge set of information whether it's whether it's a huge database of video on our opponents or on ourselves um, or the data sets that come out of uh, come out of our games between uh, the data continues to grow for for the most part up until now it's been just event data and so that's like what's happening on the ball and and now more and more we're getting tracking data which allows you to essentially paint a a picture of everything that's happening on the fields on and off the ball at any given time. Um, and so there's these, just these huge data sets um, that come out of each game. And, and when you start to compile game on game on game, and even the, the club games for, for individual players, um, it's a long-winded way of saying that, that there's, again, just huge amounts of information that are available to us. And, and, being able to focus in on what's most important and what, what I can present to the coaches and to the players that will be most actionable and, and most influential in terms of helping them achieve results. Um, that is something that I think my, my time at Muhlenberg as a student really sort of grew and, and um, allowed me to embrace moving forward and, and, like you said, even if it's not a very specific thing that I, I intentionally use all the time, it's always kind of in the back of my mind or, or in the way that I approach the information or, or interact with the coaches and players. And, and so I, I, it really uh, set me up for success in that way. All right. And success that uh, has you working for, uh, you know, the number one team in the world, which uh, there's not too many people who can say that they uh, work for, uh, or, or are part of an organization that's, that's the best in the world. So, uh, congratulations, AJ, on, on all that you've done and, and on helping this, uh, U.S. women's national team be the best that it can be and, uh, continued success in the future. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. The Muhlenberg Mules podcast is a production of the Muhlenberg College Office of Athletic Communications. If you have any questions or comments for us or our guests, email us at mulespodcast at muhlenberg.edu or leave a message on the Mule pod line at 484-664-4001. If you like us, please rate and review us and recommend us to your friends or your enemies. We're not picky. If you have suggestions on how we can make this better, please contact us. For the latest in Muhlenberg sports, visit muhlenbergsports.com or follow us on social media at M-U-H-L underscore S-P-O-R-T-S. Until our next episode, Go Mules!